Oh, wow. Listen to us. We sound great. I know, right? It's almost like we have an idea of how to record and edit and finally have decent equipment. Well, if you think we sound good right now, please stick with us or just skip ahead to like episode 30 when we know how to do it and we don't suck as much. Thank you. Enjoy this episode. So I reconsidered. I reconsidered the uh, Milky Way situation. So give me a second. <laughs> All right. So shall we begin? Sure. Okay. This is the Strange and Unusual podcast, uh, where we discuss the strange and unusual. My name is Casey, and this is my good friend and co-host, Roya. Say hi, Roya. Hi. Hi, Roya. Uh, today, we... Really? Did you really <laughs> yeah. just hear? Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, I really today, just did that. <laughs> today, we are uh, going up north to see our neighbors in Canada, the Quebecois, the peoples who live in Canada and French Canada and the Arctic and all of those people. So hello, those people. We're coming to visit you. Uh, I'm going to tell you horrifyingly sad stories. Story. Well, yeah, story. <laughs> Yours is really sad. Mine is just really weird. Uh, mine is the strange of the strange and unusual. Is mine is bad. neither. <laughs> yeah, mine is just bad. Mine is just bad. So in um, an effort so, to not end this on a horribly sad note, why don't you go first? That works for me. So I decided um, I am very, very interested in true crime. I have been for a very long time, which is part of what led us to creating this podcast um, and in a desire to not pigeonhole ourselves into only doing one thing, which is why we cover the three subjects. Um, So I decided to go with a true crime this time because there is a big case that I find really, really fascinating. Um, I want to be clear that in no way am I trying to say that anything about this is good or anything about this should be emulated, or anything about this is positive. Um, So I try really hard to refrain from using, like, my favorite serial killer and things (laughs) like that, because I don't... They're not. Like, I don't like them. I find them fascinating. I find them interesting. And so um, I am also going to put some trigger warnings on this. Um, It deals very heavily with sexual assault, It deals uh, heavily with abuse of minors, um, more specifically, like, younger teenagers. So we're not dealing with, like, children, children, but still children. (laughs) Um, And there is torture. It's not detailed or anything like that. I tried to leave out a lot of the more gory details that I read um, in an effort to make this a little bit more palatable because it's a rough case. Um, so this is the case of Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka, the, also known as the Ken and Barbie Killers. 
um, also known as the schoolgirl uh, schoolgirl killer. Um, Paul Bernardo is also known as the Scarborough Rapist. Um, so we're going to go back with a little bit of history. Uh, we're going to start with Paul Bernardo because he is a little bit older. Um, he was born August 27th, 1964 in Ontario, uh, Canada. I'm going to say California because I put CA and that is, I always do that. <laughs> Um, he was born into a very privileged but dysfunctional life. Um, Paul's mother had an affair with an ex-boyfriend, which resulted in her becoming pregnant with Paul Bernardo. Her husband, Kenneth Bernardo, accepted Paul as his son, um, but Kenneth was also said to be very abusive, and in 1975 was charged with child molestation when he fondled a young girl. Um, he also sexually abused his own daughter, which is super duper gross. Um, and Bernardo's mother and the older children were deeply affected by the abuse and changed um, by everything that happened. However, Paul seemed fine, happy, and very well adjusted, uh, despite the um, arrest and abuse of his own sister and the molestation of that, the other girl. Um, at 16, Paul found out his parentage and began calling his mother a whore, among other slurs, never really saw her the same way again. Um, he also started listening to tapes about making sales and, like, get-rich-quick schemes and began to use these tactics on young women in bars. Mm. Um, basically just trying to, like chat them up and talk himself up while kind of talking them down a little bit like kind of that you know um it's a popular thing that's kind of coming going in and out of favor lately where it's like you know um people who men who will like teach other men how to be more successful with women yeah. and things like that so this is like him finding a way to do that before that was a thing Pickup artists. Um, that you could, yeah, before you could, like, go take a class with a pickup artist. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, how he was figuring out how to do that. Um, while in college at the University of Scarborough, he began to develop a dark sexual fantasy and enjoying subjecting women to public humiliation and beatings. Um, he also developed an unfortunate taste for rape, uh, Claiming consensual sex just wasn't enough. Um, and then let's do a little bit of an intro on Carla. Um, Carla Homolka, there's not as much about her. She seems to be a really well-adjusted young woman at the time. Um, she was born May 4th, 1970, in, again in Ontario. Uh, she worked part-time at a vet store, or a pet store, and then later at a vet's office, which is really important later on in the turn of events. Um, and it seems like the family life was pretty normal. She was the eldest of three other sisters, of two other sisters, and nothing seemed to be a red flag for the paths that she was going to end up taking. Um, and so they met in 1987, uh, Carla and Paul. They met at like a conference um, in another city and just hit it off instantly um but prior to meeting carla 
Um, May 4th, 1987, Paul Bernardo committed his first rape, uh, first known rape. These are all attributed to him, so there there is allegations that it could be up to 30. There's only 15 that are actually, like, recorded attacks um, that he has committed that have been connected to him. So May 4th, 1987, the first rape of a 21-year-old in front of her parents' house after following her home. May 14th, 1987, so not a lot of cooling off period there. Um, A 19-year-old was attacked in her backyard. Uh, July 27th, an attempted third third rape. He beat a young woman but backed off when she fought back. You'll see that that becomes a reoccurring thing. Like, he is not ready for bad bitches. Mm-hmm. Like, he is not ready for someone to to fight back at all. And normally, he backs off and leaves that person alone. They, you know, they say that, though. Uh, like, in general, I've, I've heard a lot of that. If you fight, a lot of the times, they'll be like, well, fuck this and, and peace out. Like, Yeah, because it's too much work at that point. Yeah, so, ladies... Be a bad bitch. Yeah, be a bad bitch. Well, and there is definitely some bad bitches. Um, So between July 27th, which was his attempted third rape, and December uh, 16th, which was an actual rape, he he met Carla Homolka in October of 1987. So that probably shows why there was such a long break in between those two because he kind of met her halfway between July and December and then Mm -hmm. didn't really need to do anything because he had, you know, a new person that he was interested in and, um, you know, probably fooling around with and whatever. But, uh, so in December, December 16th, 1987, um, he raped a 15-year-old. There's not a lot of details at Canada is very, very, uh, most countries, but I've noticed specifically Canada is very, very strict on, like, details um, coming out about crimes committed against minors where the minor did not, was not dead, was not murdered. Mm -hmm. Um, And that comes into play a little bit later with one of the other um, situations that happened. Um, So some of these, there's just not a lot of detail, and that's because they didn't want it publicized because, you know... These poor girls sense. have already had enough of their life fucked up by this monster. Yeah. Like, why let there be more? Um, and so, uh, December 16th is also when the police finally issued a warning in Ontario, or in Scarborough, um, for women to be cautious at night, specifically, because that's when most of these were happening. Um, in April 18th, 1988, he raped a 17-year-old. Um, May 25th, 1988, Bernardo was nearly caught when he was found stalking, uh, sticking out a bus stop while hiding under a tree by a police, a Toronto police investigator. So he was just, like, being really creepy and weird. And mm. the police were, like, almost stopped and kind of took him in for questioning, but didn't. Uh, didn't think that there was enough there. Uh, and then May 30th, he would go on to rape an 18-year-old. May 30th, 1988. Um, October 4th, 1988, he attempted to rape a woman, but she fought back. 
However, he did stab her twice in the thigh and the buttock, which resulted in 12 stitches being needed. Mm. Which doesn't seem like, like, not to underplay what horrible thing happened to her, because that is awful, but 12 stitches doesn't seem like a, a lot. So they must not have been, like, super big cuts for 12 stitches between the two cuts, I wouldn't think. Yeah, I can trying to think see a lot of see a lot of animal sutures and so i guess they might have just i mean if it was like how many cuts did you say there were two so if it was like the full size of the blade yeah yeah Yeah, it must not have been like a like a giant intimidating knife i guess probably something was easy to conceal yeah um so November 16th, 1988, he raped another 18-year-old in her parents' backyard. Um, November 17th, police created a task force to try to catch the rapist. Um, June 20th, 1989, he attempted a rape, but the victim fought back and alerted the neighbors with her screams and scratched the shit out of Bernardo's face. Good. Yeah, good on her. Um, August 15th, 1989 was the eighth rape of a 22-year-old who he had stalked the previous night. This attack was particularly violent, and I've been trying to kind of... All of these have a amount of time that have been attributed to them that the rape took. I've been kind of leaving, leaving them out um, for just palatability, I guess. But this one seemed important to me. and like the, This attack was particularly brutal and lasted for two hours. Yikes. That he was just terrorizing this woman. Yeah. Mm. Um, November 21st, 1989, the ninth rape, a 15-year-old he saw at a bus shelter. Uh, December 22nd, 1989, the 10th rape of a 19-year-old in the stairwell of an underground parking garage. Um, May 26th, 1990, uh, he raped a 19-year-old. Luckily, she had an extremely vivid memory and was able to make a police composite sketch, which um, I need to look at again, but I've seen it in the past, and it looks like Paul Bernardo. Like, oh, it wow. looks almost irrefutably like. And I've heard that with some people, is just that determination to, like, if I make it out, I have to make sure I know Yes, what this person I've heard looks that too. Like. It's like I'm going to remember every single detail about your face, and yeah. and I've also heard that that's like another deterrent is that if you're like staring at them, they fucking know what you're doing, and they're gonna yeah, and that kind of comes up on the flip side in a negative. Oh um, no, a little bit further. Yeah. Um. So all right, maybe don't take my advice then. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know how to how to guide you people I here mean, but when you're when you're in this kind of a situation like no matter what you do yeah like you might as well fight back because yeah. the worst case scenario is they're going to kill you yep so you may as well make it as hard as possible for them to like that's my that's the way i look at it like i can see how being a passive you know just, just like accepting it. Yeah. it yeah and trying to get through it but in my mindset, it's just like if I've already seen them, they're probably already going to kill me. 
So I might as well do everything that I can to, you know, dig my nails in and get skin under them. Get like my, to get fight my as much as I Yeah, to get their DNA on me and my DNA on them mm-hmm. and like as much as I can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um so in July of nineteen ninety um, two months. You'll also find that the uh, police were not great in this case, which I'm sure that we will find a lot of cases where the police were not great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just kind of didn't look into something. And some of that, of course, is like, you know, you're, you're getting so much information. How can you look into everything? kind of situations like this so i get that side of things as well um but in july 1990 two months after began beginning to receive tips that bernardo fit the composite the police finally interviewed him the police had taken 130 dna samples from potential suspects in the rapes and when they interviewed bernardo the police couldn't understand or see him as a suspect He was so smart, he was charming, he was good-looking. They still took his DNA, because he volunteered to give it, um, further making him appear innocent. Yeah, he was just, didn't I guess, didn't think that they could pin it on him. Um, And so by volunteering the DNA, it made him look even more innocent in the police's eyes. Because if he was guilty, why would he have volunteered it so willingly? Right. He was just like, yeah, just take it. You know, whatever, I've got nothing to hide. Which, you know, maybe he's one of those people that, like, wants to be stopped kind of idea. But I've heard that that's more of a myth than it is a real thing. That the majority of people who are actually, like, sadists don't want to be stopped. They don't want to be caught, you know. It Um, It feels very Ted Bundy up to this point. Yeah, it it's very Ted Bundy, um, except if, like, Liz was into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, which we'll get there. But after the interview and assuring Homolka that he was not the rapist, uh, the Scarborough rapist, he moved to St. Catharines, and suddenly all of the rapes in Scarborough stopped. <laughs> Whoa! You know, Imagine... Um, yeah, though Bernardo was not completely done, he did rape a 14-year-old in St. Catharines um, when they moved. Um, so, not great. And this is where it starts getting real dark. And now it's getting dark? Yeah, now it's getting dark. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so the two of them, uh, Paul and Carla, met in 1987. Um, They've been together for a while now, and it's now 1990. So all of those rapes have happened. Um, They are living with um, Carla Homolka's parents. Um, And Bernardo starts spending a lot of time at the Homolka house before moving in officially, where he gained a new, unhealthy, and disgusting obsession Tammy Hamulka, Carla's 15-year-old sister. He would peep into her room at night and even enter when she slept and masturbate. Carla helped facilitate this new obsession with her, let me remind you, 15-year-old 
biological sister. Not that that should be anything to like facilitating that for anyone is awful, but your 15 year old sister. Yeah. So, yeah. So she would go in and she broke the blinds in Tammy's bedroom where Tammy could not close them. And so she was just left in the open for Paul Bernardo to just stare at and fantasize about and be disgusting. Um, in July 24th, 1990, uh, Carla laced a spaghetti sauce with a crushed up Valium she had stolen from the animal clinic she worked at and fed the food to Tammy and allowed Paul to rape Tammy. <sighs> Yeah, yep. rip it off like a band-aid. Yep. And it does not get better from here. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, it's, Tammy, not a, it's not a laugh. Like, I'm not laughing. It's an uncomfortable laugh. Like, this... Yeah, it's, it's like a <laughs> This is not laugh. funny. This is not funny. I'm not entertained by this. It's just, I don't know how else to handle this. So I'm laughing. Okay. Just want to yeah, preface which is, that which for is, everybody listening. Yeah, which is, like, a completely normal human reaction to things, too. Like, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and that always happens when they're just like, I don't know what else to do, so I'm just going (laughs) to laugh because it's the only one that seems like a thing I can do. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All right, Um, sorry. Good. You're you're fine. So, uh, Tommy, Tammy noticed that drinks that Paul would give her and her friends had, like, a film on top of them and, like, white flecks. So, like, he would give her, give them, like, Cokes and stuff like that, and there would just be, like, something a little bit off about them. But everybody trusted Paul and Carla. No one considered that they could be up to something nefarious or underhanded. Mm-hmm. Um, so, six months before Carla and Paul got married, Carla stole halothin from the clinic, which is an anesthetic. On December 23rd, Carla got Tammy to ingest sleeping pills in a rum and eggnog. You know, remember, this is literally just before Christmas. This is July 23rd. This is Christmas Eve Eve. You said July um, 23rd. I just want to tell oh, you that. Sorry. Yeah, well, the, yeah, December 23rd, the last one was July, July 24th. Yeah. So this is December 23rd. Carla got Tammy to ingest the sleeping pills in a rum and eggnog when she fell unconscious uh, Carla and Paul undressed Tammy. Carla apo- uh, applied a halothane-soaked rag to Tammy's nose and mouth. Carla wanted to, quote, give Tammy's virginity to Paul, since she herself was not a virgin when they met, and that was a big like point of contention between the couple, is that he felt cheated out of it because he was not the first person. He didn't get to take Carla's virginity. Uh, which gross i'm Uh, sorry what (laughs) yeah i feel like i feel like you have a lot of feelings about this i'm just going i'm gonna save all of my feelings for the end i think i feel like you just need to keep going or else i'm gonna stop you every five seconds to go i'm sorry excuse (laughs) me (laughs) about literally everything oh we'll just make that a t-shirt sorry excuse me (laughs) um so The pair also uh, filmed themselves abusing Tammy, and then she began to vomit. Uh, They tried to revive her, because how kind. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, They called 911, but only after hiding all of the evidence, redressing Tammy and putting her in her bedroom. Um, She was pronounced dead at St. Catherine's Hospital, um, and she never woke up. She never came back. Um, No one seemed... Okay, so this is the... No one seemed to find anything strange about the couple's behavior. Uh, They were doing completely normal things like vacuuming and doing laundry in the middle of the night. You know, I'm like you sorry. <laughs> like like you do two days before Christmas in the middle of the night with yep. the parents asleep in the house. Um, and most notably, no one seemed concerned by the giant chemical burn on Tammy's face. From where the halothen had been directly put in contact with her skin. No, <laughs> Yeah, no, no one, no one really thought that was weird. Um, they, I'm just the, so confused, Roya. <laughs> just so, I've watched a lot of forensic files in my day, and I'm so confused. So they're the attribute the the burn on her face, uh, which does not make any sense to me at all to the fact that she threw up the rum and eggnog and is saying that it was some kind of like an, a reaction to that to the vomit that caused that but like I've never put like ingestible alcohol like on my skin and then gotten a chemical burn like that's different that's not even an allergic reaction like a chemical burn and an allergic reaction are two completely different things they look different there's not a, like, mistaking one for the other, which makes me really, really question, like, this forensic, um, or the mortician, you know, like, the people who are, who are doing the autopsy and doing all this, of this. This medical examiner. There we go. That's the word. Were they high, perchance? <laughs> Like, I'm so confused. Well, and that's part of the interest with this case, is that why would Tam- why why would Carla Homolka kill her kid sister? And, yeah. And Paul Bernardo loved her sister. Like, why would he hurt her? Yes, you know, he like did. There's, yeah, but, you know, from the, from the eyes of people looking uh, from the outside in, it, it's, yeah. it's very Ted Bundy. It's very, like, why would this person who has no need to do you know like why would what person on the face of the earth would be okay with feeding their little sister to a wolf like paul bernardo and be okay with it and film it and take part in it like what kind of like that's not even a thing that people want to imagine you know someone to be capable of and so the, the couple moved out shortly after the murder, and the murder was also ru- ruled an accident um, based on Tammy choking on her own vomit after drinking, which is a thing that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, pro- not what happened here. I mean, it might have been a contributing factor to why she died, but it was probably the halothen soaked rag on her mouth and nose. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, 
also for just a continuing ick factor, uh, Carla and Paul also filmed Carla wearing Tammy's clothes and pretending to be her after the murder. I'm sorry. Excuse <laughs> me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh gosh. Okay, I'm ready. So I'm ready in June, where, they, where they get their comeuppance. Just continue. Come on. Bring it to me. Oh. 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 Is there. Okay. <laughs> there's okay. more before that in there. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, there's a lot more before that. <laughs> uh, and you're going to leave. You're going to leave this episode upset. <laughs> I don't know. You might feel better after you hear about my thing, but you go ahead. Uh, So in June of 1991, Carla befriended a girl who worked at the pet shop with her, who was 15 at the time. She invited the girl, and this girl is only known as Jane Doe, again, going back to what I was talking about, um, to in all court proceedings and all court documents and all everything mm-hmm. she is only known as jane doe to protect her identity because she was a minor when this happened um so carla homolka invited jane doe out for a girl's night out of shopping and dinner then carla brought the teen to home to the brought the teen to the home she shared with paul and began to give her alcohol, and then started lacing the alcohol with Halcyon. Um, When the teen passed out, Carla called Paul to give him her wedding gift for him. Paul raped the girl while Carla videotaped it. She stayed at their house overnight, unconscious, until she woke up in the morning, not realizing anything that happened. She had been too drugged to recognize... Um, anything that happened so she visited the couple again because she didn't know um, only this yeah okay yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna wait i'm gonna hold it you know what i'm gonna say i'm gonna hold on until the end of this go ahead <laughs> she visited the couple again only this time while she was drugged she stopped breathing the couple called 911 but then later called back to say everything was okay and no emergency personnel were sent out to the house at all to check. They were all called back. Um, miraculously, the teens survived these attacks and visited the couple once more in December of 1992 when Carla attempted to pressure her into having sex with Bernardo, and she was so upset she left and she never went back. Um, but she was involved in court proceedings um, when they did get arrested eventually. Your feelings? Excuse me? She went <laughs> back! How do you... Okay, here's my question. Here's my question. This, this might be a little TMI. When I have sex with my husband, like, I know. Like, afterwards. It's like things have happened down there. How do you wake up? Yeah. I mean, this is a legitimate question I don't know the answer to. Unless he was so ill-equipped that it felt like literally fucking nothing. How do you wake up and not be like, wow, I feel like there might be a tear in my vagina or like, I feel like I had sex or like, how do you just not know? Well, so some of the things that I've seen that I've read about it, um, said that she hadn't ever drank before that. 
Okay. And so she thought that some of the, like, aches and pains and weird stuff was attributed to the drinking. And that she didn't know what she had done, because Carla basically told her that she had just gotten trashed. And so she didn't know. Carla could have told her anything. Right. Oh, you, you fell and, you know, hit yourself on something or you know an accident happened and that's why you're sore so any number of things could have been told to Jane Doe I just don't have those details but she just didn't know what happened right and and, and so let me be clear I'm not in any way blaming her for not knowing oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I am very curious as to how you don't know yeah I mean I like to think that you know Paul Bernardo was just so ill-equipped that's what I would like to think. <laughs> but okay. I also, you know, I don't want to be that person. I'm not trying to make it like a thing about how she wasn't smart enough to know. That's certainly not what I'm doing. I'm just very confused. Especially because, how. yeah, especially because she thought Carla Hamolka was a friend. Right. You know, she was like, yeah, I want to go. And especially 15, getting to go to like, to cool older people's house and drink and like party and do all that you know like it was probably really alluring to her and she wanted to do it again right but she just didn't realize what was happening she didn't realize she was being taken advantage of <sighs> okay i'm sorry continue okay and so uh june 15th 1991 while Paul was out looking for license plates to steal, he's been kind of a, like, lowbrow criminal. He was involved, I kind of glossed over this, but he was involved with, like, illegally moving cigarettes. He had been an accountant, lost that job, and then um, started moving illegal cigarettes across the U.S. and Canadian border. And I don't know what makes cigarettes illegal. Maybe it's just, like, the movement of them without going through yeah taxes or customs or something um so he's always kind of been like a lowbrow criminal until the murder of um tammy hamolka um which does seem sincerely accidental but is still murder is still very clearly murder yeah um so june 15th 1991 while Paul was out looking for license plates to steal, he spotted a 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey. And <laughs> I just saw your t-shirt. <laughs> um, spotted 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey. She had been attending a funeral and missed curfew, so her parents had locked the door to punish her. Like, I guess this was like the last straw kind of moment. Not to blame anybody, like I said, but I can't imagine locking a 14-year-old out of my house uh, mm-hmm. at night. I just, I, I can't personally imagine it, but maybe they were just so frustrated with how it had been going so far that they felt like, you know, extreme measures were necessary. Um, Paul Bernardo approached her, telling her he was going to break into the neighbor's house. Leslie was completely unfazed by this and then just asked if he had any cigarettes. Priorities, I guess. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, oh. Paul, Paul led her to his car where he blindfolded her and forced her into it. Um, he took her back to the home he shared with Homolka and they began sexually abusing her while videotaping it. 
and listening to or playing in the background Bob Marley and David Bowie, which makes me super duper sad that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that is attributed to either one of those musicians in either anyway. Yep. Um, while they were raping and abusing her, um, Paul Bernardo is heard on tape. Uh, saying, you're doing a good job, Leslie. A damn good job. The next two hours are going to determine what I do to you. Right now, you're scoring perfect. And it is thought that this was um, him sort of trying to persuade her into continuing to be uh, complacent with what was happening and not fighting back. Unfortunately, Leslie stated at one point, trying to, just trying to stay alive and trying to protect herself. Um, She stated at one point in her torture that her blindfold was slipping, and that completely sealed her fate. Uh, Concerned that she may identify them, they killed her. Uh, Carla says Paul killed Leslie by strangling her. Paul says Carla killed her with a lethal lethal dose of uh, Halcyon. Either way, her body was put in the basement so that her her the so that the couple could host Carla's family for dinner. Um, once her parents left, the couple dismembered Leslie in the basement and encased each piece in cement, which Paul had bought from a hardware store. He kept the receipts like an idiot, and they dumped the blocks of cement in numerous trips to Lake Gibson. Uh, One of the blocks weighed 200 pounds and the pair couldn't sink it. Um, A father and son found it on a fishing trip in 1991. And Leslie Mahaffey's orthodontic appliance was ultimately how they identified her. Okay. Um, And then in April, on April 16th, 1992, Bernardo and Homolka were looking for victims they saw Kristen French, a 15-year-old, on an empty street. Uh, this was Good Friday as well. Um, Hamolka approached her with a map pretending to be lost. When Kristen took the map to help uh, to help Hamolka find where she needed to go, Bernardo approached with a knife and forced her into the car. Um, Kristen was a good kid. She never came home late, and she had to. She kept to a very strict schedule. Um, to come home and take care of her dog. And so when she didn't arrive home, like, around the time she should have been there, her parents instantly knew something was wrong because that was not her at all um, and called the police. And within 24 hours, the police had a team searching the area. There had also been several witnesses of the abduction, and they found one of the shoes on site. Um okay. It was Easter weekend, and over the three-day weekend, the, the couple videotaped to themselves that they tortured, raped, and sodomized her while forcing Kristen to drink copious amounts of alcohol. They never blindfolded her, leading future prosecutor Ray Hollihan um, to state that they always intended on killing Kristen, that there was never an alternative in their mind. Um, the next day, they murdered 15-year-old Kristen French. Hamolka said Bernardo strangled her for seven minutes while she watched. Um, and Bernardo said that Hamolka beat Kristen with a rubber mallet and ended up being strangled 
by the rope that had been tied around her neck to that was also like a noose that was tied to a hope chest in the room and that during the beating uh she somehow strangled herself um they dumped Kristen's body in a ditch she had been washed and her hair had been cut after murdering her they went to Hamulka's parents for Easter dinner as you do yeah, I mean, totally Loki, uh, perfectly normal. <sighs> okay. Okay, I was curious about that. I decided I meant to look it up while I was doing my research, um, but the. It kept striking me as strange that Hamolka was being so specific that Bernardo strangled her for seven minutes. Mm-hmm. Not five, not ten. Seven. And I was looking and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's too short of time to actually strangle someone to death. Mm-hmm. And it is. Um, the little bit of looking I just did said that at least ten minutes to strangle someone to complete death. I'm not going to tell you why I know this, but they say in, like, sexual asphyxiation, (laughs) um, there are issues with people being strangled to death because of the inflammation that happens after they're done choking somebody. Oh, yeah, like um, swelling? Yes. So, I mean, that's also a possibility. I'd be interested to know if anybody actually knows the science behind that but i, I mean i'm sure that there's... don't feel like i need to tell you anything else about that. <laughs> okay fair um so i watched a lot of forensic files okay <laughs> oh, okay we all believe you yep um so there <laughs> uh there are also possible other victims um so january 12th 1991 uh, a, there was a girl kidnapped and raped, um, only known as January Girl by Carla Homolka. So she has admitted to this girl existing. Um, April 16th, 1991, Bernardo abducted a 14-year-old. He sexually assaulted her and then left, but didn't actually rape her from what I could find. Um, that she was, like, trying to... I think this is the one. Um... Yeah, she was trying to... She was getting ready for a, like, rowing team practice. And he just, like, pulled her into a bush and, like, assaulted her. And then had her strip. And then just, like, made her wait... Like, walked away and made her wait five minutes and then just never came back. Um, July 18th... Or, sorry, July 28th to August 9th of 1991... Uh, Bernardo stalked Sydney Kirshen. Uh, Sydney's boyfriend chased Bernardo when Sydney went to his home for help, knowing that he was closer to where she was. Um, and she had reported the incident previously, the stalking problem, and so she knew that he was a problem and that he had been stalking her, and her boyfriend also knew. And so she pulls up into the driveway, it goes up, and then the boyfriend jumps in his car. And starts chasing Bernardo. Um, oh. They, yeah. They reported the incident. And the license plate 
to the police, but the police just didn't do anything with it. Um, <clears throat> oh, wait, there's more. <laughs> um, but that also goes into the line of thought that, you know, previous to like the 2000s and maybe even more recently, stalking was not taken seriously. Like, it just wasn't. Even though there were so many, like, celebrities that had been, you know, murdered, assassinated because of stalking, different things, and obsessive fans, all that kind of stuff, but it just wasn't taken seriously. And I think that's what this is running into with that sort of issue. Um, So, March of 1992, Bernardo stalked and videotaped... um, I think it's Shannon, Shanna, and Carrie Patrick. Uh, they reported the incident, but got the license plate number wrong. Um, and so on April 18th of 1992, Bernardo went out to pick up dinner and rent a movie. Um, and Carrie Patrick saw and recognized him. And like a complete and total bad bitch, she followed him in her car. Oh, And got a better description of the car and the correct license plate number. And she gave that to the police, who then mishandled the information and never got got investigated. Now I want to draw your line of thought back to um, on April 16th of 1992. So two days before she went to the police with this new information... They had abducted Kristen French. Had they gone to this house, they may have found Kristen French alive. But because they didn't go and they mishandled the information, a how old was she? 15 year old died. Oh. What? Now, it may have been too late. Kristen may have already been murdered. But they still would have found Kristen French's body inside of Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo's home at that time. So maybe not been able to save her, but at least definitively proven that they were involved in her death. Um, so yeah, that that was really upsetting to me that I I I hate seeing stuff like that because it's just so frustrating to me that they were so close to possibly saving someone and then I'm... just didn't didn't take it seriously or mishandled the information and never got dealt with, you know, regardless. Just so unfortunate. I don't even know what to do with this information. I'm just trying to process... <laughs> All right, let's let's continue. Uh, so in 2006, so bringing up much more recent, um, Bernardo confessed to the assault of a 15-year-old in 1987. Uh, this resulted in a man who had been convicted of that rape being freed in 2008. It really upsets me that it took two years to free the guy, but he's free. So. How the hell? Um, Ugh. All this, all this is just upsetting. Yeah, I told you. I warned you. <laughs> um, in 2000... And, or sorry, I did that one already. 
1992, the DNA from the Scarborough rapist finally began being tested. Um, so that was actually taken from in 1990. I say what? So two a decade years later. No, 1990. Two years later. Okay. 1990 it to 1992. Feels like we've gone through a decade of of issues here. <laughs> well, I mean, it did start in 1987, so not too far off. And then the last one was 2006. So, um, but on December 27th of the same year, 1920 or 1922, 1992, uh, Bernardo severely beat Homolka with a flashlight. It's unknown if this has been an ongoing thing. Um, but her parents got her out of the situation, and when they get, went to get her, um, they said that she was desperately searching for something, and it's thought to be that she was searching for the um, the incriminating tapes that there were of her being involved with these rapes and attacks on different people. I just love what a bad bitch that um, Carrie Patrick is. Seriously. Carrie is just like, being, I'm going to take this shit into my own hands. Yeah, just being like, I'm going to just jump in my car. I'm going to go track this mofo down. I mean, seriously, probably dangerous and bad, but yeah, also but... really fucking brave and amazing. <laughs> okay. So the next section I have titled... Uh, which will give you some ominous feelings, I'm sure. The Trial of Paul Bernardo and the Deal with the Devil. Okay, look. Don't you play with me. I am here for I'm here for uh, you know, death sentence. I want the crowd of people outside of the prison, like at Ted Bundy's, where they were like, fry him. I want that. Well, <laughs> all right, go. Let's let's just get this over with. <laughs> um. So the trial for French and Mahaffey was in 1995. Um. It included a detailed. Um. Oh, sorry, I got distracted. <laughs> Okay. Um, it, trial for French and Mahaffey was in 1995 with a detailed um, testimony from Hamulka. Bernardo first said that all the deaths were accidental and that he didn't want to do, like, none of them were intentional. He always fully intended on letting the girls go. Um, later, he blamed all of the deaths on Hamulka, that she had been the one that insisted that they kill Wesley Mahaffey because of the, um, the blindfold slipping. Um, so, on September 1st, Bernardo was convicted of a number of offenses. He was convicted of two first-degree murders, two aggravated assaults, and then 20, he was uh, charged with 25 years and later deemed a, quote, dangerous offender, um, making it more likely that he would ever be released. Um, this is also around the time that um, the uh, DNA came through that he had been involved in all of the Scarborough rapes. 
um, and was connected to them. Mm-hmm. However, Carla Homolka got a plea deal. And she got one hell of a plea deal. So, in exchange for um, giving all the information that she had um, in regards to the crimes that were committed by Paul Bernardo, she got 12 years for manslaughter. It has been considered multiple times, almost constantly, by people in Canada as the deal with the devil. Because, at the time, the defense had held back 17 hours of footage from the prosecutor that showcased Carla's obvious involvement and enjoyment of the attacks. So, the the defense had these videos, and then got the plea deal, and then said, okay, here are all the videos, proving Bernardo was involved. But once that plea deal is signed, they can't go back on it. That's how plea deals work. So. (sighs) Yeah. Okay. And so she got 12 years for manslaughter, which is not even like an unforgivable offense in Canada, which is something that I'll get into a little bit. Um. So, yeah, the deal with the devil, because unfortunately the prosecution just didn't know. So, yeah, so they held back all of this, um, all this footage. Um, it was actually, like, hidden. And there's a bunch more that I didn't really get into about how um, getting warrants and getting that kind of stuff in Canada works. And, like, they could only, because um, the... Uh, the search warrant only counted for like certain a certain level of things, and so anything else that they found had to be like viewed within the home, and so they didn't find the videos, uh, because the videos had been hidden after. So Paul Bernardo got arrested. He reached out to his um lawyer, basically from what I have gathered asked his lawyer to go and find these videos that he had hidden in his home, in their home, and then to hold them back until um, they could get the best deal possible, basically. So the um, defense attorney held the, held the videos back until Hamulka got her plea bargain, and then they gave over all of the evidence to the prosecution and to the court these videos were never shown in court um, because they were deemed just too graphic um but they did play the audio in court and it was clearly difficult um obviously difficult (laughs) but so uh the prosecution said they would have never taken the deal had they known about carla's involvement and her enjoyment in it. So there are allowances that could have been made had she been involved feeling that there was no other option for her, despite there being numerous times that she could have gone to the police. She could have gone up and been straight about her sister's death and Mm -hmm. wasn't. 
Um, and that death gets attributed to them, but they don't get charged with it. I couldn't really find any details on why they didn't get charged with Tammy's death, but it definitely was brought up. Um, maybe it was considered one of the aggravated assaults um, because it sincerely, you know, even looking from the research of this, it didn't seem like they actually intended on killing Tammy Hamulka. But, you know, regardless of what they intended to do, what they actually did was kill her. Yeah. So, um, where is it? Hamulka also claimed that Bernardo had bragged to her about raping 30 women, which is double the amount that the police had suspected him of. So there are either crimes that they never took DNA from or women who had never gone to the police to, you know, do anything and say anything about it, which is an unfortunate common occurrence. It also could have been information and uh, swabs and things that had been mishandled because clearly... The police are having a hard time, you know, handling simple information like license plate numbers. Mm-hmm. So who knows? It could be higher than 30. Well, we may never know. Um, so in 1995, Carla Hamulka was put in Kingston's, Kingston's prison for women. Um, in 1997, she was moved to the Juliet Institution, which was a medium security prison and considered like a club fed sort of place um a lot of people were not happy that she was there feeling that she should have stayed in a maximum security prison for the entire range of her time in prison um she also did not try to get um she didn't try to get out early uh at all so she full she she spent the full 12 years um Several psychologists saw signs of spousal abuse with her, and mm-hmm. others felt that she might be emulating the symptoms of, of spousal abuse and, like, battered woman syndrome from things that she had read and how she had been coached by um, the defense attorneys that worked with her. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of a, you know, disagreement on if she was actually a victim of continuous spousal abuse or if the time that he beat her with the flashlights was a one-time occurrence um there's not a lot of details either way on that um at one point yeah at one point a reporter uh, michelle shepherd saw applications like they like got into her possession somehow for hamulka to be moved to a halfway house and in her article noted the proximity to local schools uh, which then resulted in the application being denied um, because the age range of the victims of the, you know, 14 and 15 year olds, um, they, Canada decided that that was too high risk. Um, and yeah. so she remained, she remained in Joliet. Uh, she also began to date a woman in Joliet who was so infatuated with Carla Hamulka that she reoffended after release to get put back in jail in prison to be with Hamulka. Like that's how infatuated she was. Wow. Um, and then in 2005, Carla Hamulka was released. So she was released with very hefty restrictions. 
Um, she had to tell the police her work and home address and who she lived with. She had to notify them as soon as any of that changed. She had to notify them of any name changes that she undertook, including like marriage or anything like that. Um, if she was going to be away from home for more than 48 hours, she had to give 72 hours notice. Um, she could not contact Bernardo or the families of Kristen French, Leslie Mahaffey, Jane Doe, or any other violent criminals. She was forbidden um, to be with people under the age of 16 and consume drugs that were not prescribed to her. Uh, she was required to continue counseling and she was required to provide a DNA sample. A couple of those seem like real rough and maybe like a little bit of government overextending. But nope. I mean, like for the most part, they all Not seem like, like that. Yeah, I agree. But they, there were multiple like people saying that this was a, a totalitarian list of commands. Fuck and that, that. Yeah. There were a lot of people who saw, who didn't think like she served her time. She's not on parole. Like she, she gets to live her life. And then there was the other side of the majority of, like, citizens of Canada who were just like, fuck that. Yeah. She At killed least. three children. Um, and then, yeah, at least. And then on November 30th, 2005, all those restrictions were lifted. Um, and then it is reported that she had a son in 2007. Um, she is reportedly still living in Ontario somewhere. There's rumors that she's living in other countries now as well to try to like let her son have a more normal life um but as soon as anyone like hears the name like she was saying uh i guess kind of complaining when she was pregnant that she was having a hard time finding any nurses that would help you know to care for her or to any anything like that through the pregnancy because they knew it was and it's like well I mean, you kind of literally did that to yourself. I... Um, Paul Bernardo. Paul Bernardo is still in prison. Um, he was eligible for parole in February of 2018, and on October 17th of 2018, he was denied day and full parole by the parole board of Canada. Thank so he is still in. God. Yeah, he is still in jail. He is still. Um, he is evidently feels that he is reformed, but everyone does. Um, he does not, I mean, he has apologized, per, whereas Carla Hamulka has only apologized to her family for Tammy's death, for an involvement in that. She never has apologized to any of the victims' families. She's never reached out to any of them to try to explain anything. Not that that will fix anything or bring anything back. But, you know, it might give a sense of some kind of closure. But she's never reached out to anyone aside from her own family about her involvement in Tammy's death. Um, so she's just a trash human. And there's a lot of... Um, I was reading a lot about it and I kind of left quite a bit of it out because I didn't want to bog it down too much. Um, but there's a lot of, there was a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists who were looking into Carla Homolka and like had been interviewing her and doing different things like that with her. 
that found her is kind of an anomaly um, because it's really uncommon for um, women to be like involved with like brutal sexual assault like this and murder like this Um, and that she had like a complete dichotomy of personality so she could appear completely like like a a psychopath you know or a sociopath can be completely normal and appear normal answer all the questions all the right ways and do all of that but then on the other side she was still capable of doing all of these things she went out and got jane doe to surprise paul that wasn't a situation of paul telling her go find me a girl or it's gonna be you like this was her going out of her way right to bring him a present which is a disgusting sentence to say but in the same way with tammy too she could have very easily just put her foot down and been like uh hell no you're not gonna peep on my little sister like what (laughs) disgusting monster are you get the fuck out of our house but she didn't she chose to keep him there she chose not to go to anybody to try to get help she chose all of these things which you know like if you are in a situation that you don't want to be in and you have opportunities like that to get away she had a support system she had her family her family still at the point that they came and helped her to get out of the abusive situation didn't know that she had been involved in tammy's death at all she could have gotten help from them at any point and chose not to it's not like she was alone and didn't have anyone to come and help her or you know do something keep her safe get her out of the situation she had every opportunity to not do what she did and then did it anyway and i think it's horrible that she got 12 years for manslaughter and then so in canada because i kind of mentioned this in canada um as long as you're not convicted of like murder like first degree or second degree if it's just manslaughter you can go in and have it uh, stricken from your record. You can apply to have it removed from your record. And they refused her. She will never have it removed from her record. In fact, the Senate of Canada like implemented they implemented new law to avoid people who are considered notorious offenders, like Carla Hamulka, from being able to remove um, those kinds of things from their record of violent crimes. Um, so she will never be able to have it removed from her record, which at least that's a small positive. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, I'll take what I can get at this point. <laughs> yeah. So that is Paul Bernardo and Carla Hamolka, the Ken and Barbie killers of Ontario, Canada. I think I'm going to be sick. Yeah, it's a pretty rough one. Yeah, I find it really, really fascinating. Kind of the same way I find Ted Bundy to be sort of fascinating. And just, like, for all of the the worst reasons. Just because, like, I, I can't fathom someone who could kill a, a, kill a sibling and then ever be able to look at my mother in her face again. I know. And to go to Easter dinner... 
after you literally yeah. chop somebody up. Like, ugh, yeah, ugh. and to have, have your family over for dinner with a dead body in the basement. Mm. Like, to kill your, your younger sibling two days before Christmas. Like, it's oh awful. Yeah. Merry Christmas, family. Yeah, like, way to ruin, like, not, I mean, making light of the situation, but, like, way to ruin Christmas. Like, straight yeah. up. Like, yeah. your family will never get to have a normal, happy Christmas again. Like, it's yeah. always going to be shattered by this. And then even more shattered by the fact that your other was directly involved in her death. Yep. Well, now on to something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, thankfully. Yeah, let's let's do something a little different. Because, holy God, that was just, ugh, icky. Um, what do you know about uh, Inuit mythology? I don't know very much. I know, like you said, it's a lot of oral tradition. And yeah. I know, like, some of the, like, ideas of things that they found to be, like, important. I know, like, the, you know, carvings and, like, the totems and um, that kind of stuff. But I don't know, like, a lot outside of that. I would, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I would like to take a moment um, to let everybody who is listening that I am a white person. And I have a lot of white guilt for a lot of things that I had no, you know, I, I have not myself, you know, destroyed an entire nation of people. Um, but I, but I feel that. Well, that's, yeah. a, that's an important <laughs> difference to make sure that it's clear that you directly I did not. I committed genocide myself, not to make light of the situation again. It's one of those things that it, I feel, I feel slightly woke as the kids say, and I want to make sure everybody knows that anything that may come up in what I'm about to discuss is not um, ignorance because it's chosen. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Um, I'm not trying to, you know, intentionally paint any kind of picture here that is negative. I have nothing but the utmost respect for indigenous peoples. Um, my great-great-grandmother was an Iroquois woman, which makes me sound like one of those white girls that's like, I'm like one of the 30s second American Indian. But, I'm related to Pocahontas. Yeah, like... <laughs> so I'm not trying to do that, but I really... I was looking for monsters in Canada, and I was just like, oh my gosh, what do these maple leaves like? Do you like think about? Do they have a candy lady? That's my question. Um, so there was, I was looking at the Quebecois and like they have the Loup Garou and I thought that was really cool, but that tied a lot into European stuff. And I didn't really want to do something that was specific um, to the French while we were doing Canada. Um, I looked at like their version of Nessie. They have like 1800 of them. There was a story about the headless nun. I found a lot of really interesting ones. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but there was one that was 
an Inuit uh, myth that I thought was really just super weird and fascinating. And I would like to share that with you. I'm down for weird. So one of the things that I discovered was that um, with the Inuit mythology and the whatever, um, they have this thing about how there are other worlds between the sea and the earth and the sky. And so like the Northern Lights, um, some people believed that they were friends and family dancing in the afterlife. Um, and then there were some that were more sinister, uh, like spirits that if you whistled at them, they would come down and cut off your head. So lots of different things. And it's really hard to find anything really, um, oh gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Really like permanent, really structured because it is all oral tradition and anything that probably was written down was destroyed by white people. <laughs> yeah. If they even had, if they even had like a a consistent written language, because mm-hmm. a lot of native uh, cultures didn't have like a consistently written down recorded language um, as well, so that could be part of it too. Right, um, and so this story is uh, going to be a complete one eighty from what we just heard. It is of the demon <laughs> known as the Mahaha. Have you heard? I like it already. Okay. Uh, Not not to my knowledge. He is a creature uh, described as a sinewy being, thin with blue skin, cold to the touch, and eyes that are white. He's got this long, stringy black hair that hangs over his face. His body seems like really lean, muscly, and his arms are typically depicted as being like too long for his body. He's almost always described um, as having little to no clothing, but never seems to be troubled by the cold. And at the end of these long arms, he has these insane looking claws. Uh, and he's always seen with this really creepy smile too. So that's, that adds to oh, it. Oh, well that's unsettling. I'm going to look this <laughs> up while you're talking. Oh yeah, wanna... do it. Um, he is a demon that terrorizes the Arctic by tickling his victims to death with his sharp, vicious nails. That sounds, oh my god. <laughs> you looked it up, right? Um, yeah, no, he's, he's fuck? <laughs> really creepy looking character. Uh, he's uh, always described as very strong, always barefoot. Um, so stories uh that have been that i have found on the internets um have been like so there's one story in which a husband leaves his wife in uh their igloo and goes out hunting um and he is out hearing giggles on the wind and he returns home to find um, his wife is out front uh with a disgusting smile on her face and he knows it was the Mahaha. Gross. So the thing about the Mahaha though that I've discovered um, so his giggling can be heard on the wind uh, and that he um, leaves his corpse with a similar smile and their corpse uh, frozen after the attack Um. And that the sight of a victim alone was enough to strike fears into the heart 
fear into the hearts of generations lost long ago. The uh, way to beat the Mahaha is by fooling him because he's apparently an idiot. <laughs> This, uh, this husband uh, eventually tracks down the Mahaha and he's um, about to be killed as well when he asks the Mahaha, hey, uh, can I have one last drink from the river over here? And uh, convinces the Mahaha to take a drink from the river as well and pushes him into the current, which takes him away and saves the husband, who is now a widow, which is sad. But that's the that's the Mahaha. <laughs> that's there's not, crazy. Like there's not a whole like I said, it's all it's all oral tradition, so there's not a whole lot that I could actually find that was like there are sightings of the Mahaha or anything like that. But I think that's such an interesting thing for a tribe or a tribal community anyway to take and say. Because one of the ways they describe uh, freezing to death is you get the sensation of warmth and joy before you pass. Yeah. So the smile on a frozen corpse would make a lot of sense if they feel those feelings right before they die from being frozen. Oh, that's so dark. I didn't yeah. even really consider that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was actually like spent some time with one of my friends uh, journey yesterday and she was talking about um, how she found that it was easier to like have faith or belief in things that were like a had a an effect on something tangible. Mm -hmm. Like it makes sense that the Greek got like the Grecian people would look at thunder and lightning and say like, "What the fuck is that? It must be created by some deity." Absolutely. And so Zeus is born, and so like that's kind of it it's giving me like a moment of deja vu to that conversation yesterday and about like, how was this creature created as a tangible means to describe people who had frozen to death, mm -hmm. you know, that they don't seem affected by the cold anymore because they're dead, mm -hmm. but then they're also cold to the touch because they're dead. And then the idea that they, you know, die with a smile on their face because, and the sensation of like, you know, pins and needles are tickling or something to, like, make them smile. Yeah. Like, it makes sense that that's what, you know, like, I can see the correlation between, like, how the description of, like, dying or being close to dying in the cold makes you feel to what, you know, the Mahaha looks like and what his victims, their victims, its victims you know, appear to be like when they're found. Right. Um, I also love that he's just an idiot. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> like so every, story, him. <laughs> every story I've read is, is ends with him being pushed into the water. So I just thought that was funny. Like he's a moron. Like how many times you need to be pushed into the water before you know. So, <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm looking and it looks like there's like, I found an entry for, I don't know if it's a, like, fan-made, like, Pathfinder, like, to use it as a antagonist in a Pathfinder, like, if you wanted to play or have him as an antagonist in a game. Interesting. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know if it's fan-made or not, but that 
that's pretty neat. There's also a bunch of art. Like, I didn't expect it to be, like, this kind of well-known, but it seems to be... There's also, like, a... The super creepy comic that looks kind of like Salad Fingers. Yeah, I saw that one, too. About it. It's the same one I'm thinking of. But, yeah, the, um... There's, like, a... There's a lot that it's just, like, almost completely icy blue, and then there's this just this creepy face in it. But yeah, yeah. it's got it's got a really interesting uh, story. I think it's just there's not a lot there. But I wanted to to bring it up because when you told me what you were doing, I was like, I don't know a lot about this, but I you you didn't she didn't tell me exactly what story you were doing, but I knew it was going to be dark because it was a true crime. So I was like, I want to find something a little more like not so creepy <laughs> because the the one I was going to go with was old yellow top and that's their Bigfoot. It was a little funny. Like yeah, but we're going to, we're going to make like special episodes. I'm not sure how frequently we've talked a little bit about it, um, but doing special episodes where we will talk about um, different uh, crypt, yeah, cryptids, or things like that that overlap um, different areas of the world. So like Bigfoot, mermaids, um, werewolves, and like the like. You know, different things like that. Um, and then com- <laughs> yeah, comparing and contrasting, finding the origin stories for the different incarnations of them. And that's going to overlap into, you know, some true crime, some myth, some legend, some monster, you know. So we're going to take those a little bit differently. So don't be discouraged if you don't hear about your favorite cryptid, if it falls into something like that, um, that overlaps into different countries where a lot of different nations or cultures have a representation of them. Um, because we are going to do those. We just want to do like a big episode focused on those and the different ones instead of doing like six episodes in a row where one of us covers, you know, an incarnation of Bigfoot in this country and this country and that. Um, because there are so many and it goes all around the globe. Yep. So I'm curious to see the uh, similarities between them as well. I think that could be really interesting as well as the differences to what different cultures perceive their specific version of X creature to be like. Right. I mean, and I there's liked, so much variety. I liked going from something that was more modern, like awful, horrible tragedy murder to a ancient tribal thought mythology sort of thing I feel like it really broke up what we were doing here and I I like having those variations um in color on our on our program so (laughs) uh, sounds so official yeah I know um so if and if there are any suggestions or recommendations or if you have more information on the Mahaha and you're a person who might know something about the Inuit culture please let us know we were always the reason we did this was so that we could learn more about the things we're already interested in so yeah and so if you have any um questions or ideas or suggestions you'd like to make as far as other things for us to cover and to look into um you can email us at strange unusual podcast at gmail.com 
Um, also send in if you've got any listener stories. We're going to start doing those eventually once we have some, you know, a, a fair amount in to start breaking them down. And that can be anything. Give us your supernatural. Give us your creepy. Give us your paranormal. Give us your true crime. If something weird happened to you, if it was strange and unusual, we want to talk about it. I think it will be really interesting to hear uh, some suggestions from different people, especially, you know, like things that may be lesser known um, or things that are just particularly interesting that maybe won't show up on a quick search um, for a particular country. Also, if you've got any information or more detail on anything we've covered, please let us know or corrections that might come back and bite me eventually. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but I am curious to see. So again, that's strange, unusual podcast at gmail.com. And if you're sending in a, a story, just mark that in the subject line, like listener story or something like that, where we can kind of key in on those. That would be helpful. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram. Uh, we've got a whopping one post. Well, it might be two or three by the time that this comes out because we're going to be posting pictures and information about the cases that we're covering. Um, so you can follow us there on strange underscore unusual underscore podcast. Uh, you can also follow me, Roya, at Roya Rampage, R-O-Y-A on Instagram and then Casey at calamity Casey C A S E Y on Instagram. Uh, and Casey, where, where did we decide we're going next? Uh, uh, well, we can see Russia, Japan, but, but we can see Russia from our house. So, <laughs> but, but Japan is, is first in, in order. So we can. Okay. So the next uh, country that we're going to be visiting will be Japan, the land of the rising sun. So I hope that you guys will tune in. I'm not sure what we're doing yet. We're uh, we don't know what we're doing yet. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we're going to get a lot of weeboos next episode. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm definitely curious to see what we find to cover. I know there's a lot. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of lore. There's a lot of monsters. And there's a lot of true crime. Um, so I'm curious to see where it all winds up for us. Well, uh, I, I guess that's it for today. Yeah, I think that the concludes our day today. So hope to see you guys back next week. Um, hopefully we will have a better idea of timeframes for when episodes will be getting uploaded soon as well. So we can give you kind of a, an idea of when to see them. Um, so yeah, for now, bye. Bye.